since Easter um, about Jesus. <laughs> it's good. And uh, we've kind of been in a um, sort of a series, I guess, that didn't really go the direction I thought it was going to go, um, which is all good. Um, and uh, we started Easter Sunday looking at um, what Jesus did on the cross from the aspect of um, us being objects of divine wrath, which is the feel-good Easter sermon everybody was expecting, I'm sure. Um, and kind of went from there, we kind of just started backing up in the life of Christ. Went from there the next Sunday we did uh, took communion together and talked about uh, that. Then backed up to um, where Jesus um, is speaking, and he says, uh, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Um, from, uh, what is it? For I am, what is it? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we've kind of, that night, I guess, um, kind of went in, the, in a direction of, okay, here's, here's what Jesus has called us to, and here's this yoke that has two animals in it, and he's one animal, and we're the other animal. And um, he's saying, you know, you've been trying all these other ways. You've been burdened by religion. You've um, been working your whole life to keep all the rules and thinking that, that that's going to get you to God, and it's not. Um, I'm the way to the Father. And um, going through life uh, as a part of uh, just living in the kind of flow of God's kingdom um, is something that, that Jesus was very clear about. Um, and that that's what's going on. He says there's another way that's available. And that yoke is really kind of a, it's, it's an illustration of what, it, what the kingdom of God looks like. You know, Jesus has been saying there's another way. You're, you've been trying the wrong way. Um, I'm the right way. Uh, this, this is how it works. The kingdom of God is not something that, that we build. It always bothers me when it's like, you know, I'm going to be a kingdom builder. Like, okay, no, <laughs> that's, not how, that's not really how it works. Uh, God doesn't need us to build his kingdom. He's perfectly fine. Uh, he's built his kingdom, and it's great. And he doesn't need our uh, architectural advice or anything like that. Um, um, it is more, this is the kingdom that God's saying, the kingdom I have built, you may be a part of it. That's what being in the yoke with Christ is about. It's, here's this kingdom, and this is something that he's invited us to be a part of. And so we crawl into that yoke with him, and we begin to learn from him how to live life. And so um, there are three things that that night that um, God kind of brought out as being um, crucial to uh, staying yoked together with Christ. One was uh, prayer, because we see from Jesus' life that prayer is what it was just a driving force for him, a way for him to stay connected to the Father. And so when you're in the, the yoke and, and Jesus says, you, you can learn from me, and you get in the yoke and you're like, okay, I want to learn from you, these are the things that you're going to learn. You're going to learn to pray. Uh, that's going to be there. That's a part of it. And last week we talked about uh, the role that the scriptures play. Um, you know, prayer being uh, from us to God, the scriptures being one way that God speaks back to us, brings us back to the center where, you know, where we need to be. Um, he reveals his will sometimes through scripture, uh, but more than anything, he reveals himself. And when we are looking at God's word and we're like, wow, you know, that's, it, it has a way, of, it just, it's transformational. And so um, prayer study of God's word, and the third thing that kind of came out that night as far as being in the yoke 
is um, you're going to be, uh, you're not alone in the yoke. That we together are, are there. Um, there is, of course, an individual relationship with God, you and, and Jesus uh, going on, yes. But all of us are in that yoke as well at the same time. And so as we're praying and we're learning how to pray and struggling through that, and, how, and when we're learning from Scripture, uh, that is not something that happens alone. It happens in the context of a community, which is when, you know, a part of the gathering of the church, what that's all about. All right? So look at Hebrews chapter 10. And can we bring the, the house lights up? You see, so I can see. Um, and by the way, I, uh, some of you were there today. The, the BCM building uh, was dedicated today. Um, it is completed, and so they had this dedication thing. And um, you'll be happy to know that they have lights like these in the room, so we don't have to use like uh, I don't know if you ever noticed, but we use we use like work lights from Home Depot uh, to light the gym, um, not from Lowe's, from Home Depot. And um, we use those lights, and like it's it's the most just random thing ever. And that's why like a lot of times like people I. I'm going to go with this. this is, that's why people don't bring their Bibles, because you can't really see. All right? So just so you know, June 15th, Father's Day, when we meet there for the first time in our new location, they'll have lights like these, which will, allow, will plainly illuminate the Scriptures in front of you. So feel free to bring them. That would be awesome. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10. Back on track. Here we go. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right? Um, the life of Christ uh, he is like the, he's always in the context of a community, except with except when he withdraws to a solitary place for him to spend time w- with his father. Um, we always see him with people, with his parents, with the disciples, with um, his parents or the disciples, and or the woman at the well before they came back. Um, but he, he's always there. He had uh, twelve um, that he appointed to come and to learn from him and to walk and to be his uh, apprentices, basically. Um, and of those 12, uh, there were three that he hung out with more than the other 12. All right, click. <laughs> um, and then, uh, then there was one of those three that he loved more than the other two. All right? Some of they didn't have some issues among them. Um, but Jesus had these relationships, and, so he had, and they, were, they were different is the reason I point that stuff out. Um, he had these 12 that he was teaching and investing in, but there was something about these three that were that, that was just different. He had a different relationship with them. And then there was the one that he loved more than the other ones. And so you might look and say, Jesus had favorites. That's not cool. Well, okay, no. He didn't have favorites. He had different relationships with those that he was close to, right? Um, he had a family that he was around and that he was with. To the point where when he was hanging on the cross, you know, suffering and dying and wrath of God being poured on him, all this kind of stuff, he had like his wits about him to make sure that, that those guys standing there, they knew who was responsible for his mom. Take care of mom. 
Jesus was, a, was, a, was human. He had friends. They walked around. They hung out. I, am I, like, I got to believe that he was, like, just hilarious, you know? Like, you can see him joking in, in Scripture sometimes. There's, like, this, like, sarcasm that I just love about him. But I really think Jesus was funny, um, uh, you know, and probably, it'd probably be unfair to use his divine ability to be the funniest, you know? So I won't say he's the funniest. But uh, if I was Jesus, I would have used that, <laughs> definitely, you know? Um, it's, uh, anyway, so, so Jesus was always surrounded by people who's in, pouring his life into them. Um, the reason why, uh, like, and this isn't necessarily written in Scripture, but, but it kind of makes sense. When you got 12, and there are three of them that you're closer to, and there's one that you love more than the other two, there, there's got to be this, the two-way idea, you know, going on. It wasn't just Jesus was always pouring into them and never received anything, you know. They were normal relationships. Um, and so we see this in Jesus' life, and we see here in, in Hebrews um, just a great reflection of, of Jesus' relationship with them, all right? He hands over the church to them. We watch the book of Acts. Everything blows up, right? That relational nature between, uh, you know, among them was then passed on. And as they, you know, all the things that they're writing in the New Testament were talking about taking care of each other and investing in each other and meeting each other's needs and bearing each other's burdens and praying for each other, that, where do you think that came from? It, it came from Jesus. It came from his example. They were, just, they were just duplicating what had been done for them in their lives. And so we see this verse that's here, um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. All right, that's like a, just a constant theme in our church. Um, you probably get tired of it, and uh, I don't care. Um, because <laughs> you can laugh sometimes. Oh, come on, loosen up. It's a constant theme, and this is why. It's a constant theme in Scripture. I think we're on the right track when the themes of Scripture and the themes of our church are flowing together, all right? All throughout God's Word, it's talking about His faithfulness and the things that He has done. And that is why He is trustworthy. And that's why, that's why like, He is Him and we are us. And that's how we relate to Him, is, is building your lives on the fact that, that when everything else in the world will sell you out, He's the only stable thing that we have. And so He's saying, hold, hold fast to that. Hold fast to that hope, you know. Um, don't let go of it, ever. And that's something that we try to do. We write community group material that constantly brings that up, talking about the things he's done, talking about the things that he's done, because that needs to be what we build our lives on. And so it's an important aspect of, of community that, that, that we are helping each other hold on to those things. And then it goes on, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I look at that, you know, and I, and I wonder um, how much of a driving force am I with my friends? You know, am, am, I, am I pushing them in that direction? Do people, do the, the people that I'm around, people in my community group, uh, the, the elders of our church that I spend time with, my friends that I spend time with, my family, my parents, my brothers, my sister-in-law, shout out for her, um, by spending time with, with me, 
do they feel challenged and pushed forward to love more and to live out that love more? You know? Have you ever thought about your life that way? I, I hadn't until this week, and I really, like, didn't want to think about it anymore, you know? But that's, that's what the Scripture is saying, isn't it? When it says consider, I mean, it's, it says, like, think about it. Set that in, in your mind. I mean, ponder that, you know? Consider how you can do that. And so that's one thing, I guess, when we're talking about community, um, for me to bring to God in prayer is asking Him, how can, I, how can I do a better job of that, you know? What a great testimony that would be um, for someone to say, um, your relationship with me, your friendship with me, makes me want to pursue Christ more. Makes me want to love people more. I was at a wedding rehearsal, and, uh, you know, it's like the, uh, the rehearsal dinner, you know, and it's like, you know, you like, what do you call it, roast or whatever? So everybody's like toasting or roasting, you know, and, um, and so it's like funny stories and all this kind of stuff, whatever, and this guy stands up, and this, uh, this guy's wife, all right, was the bride, bride's sister. Okay. This guy's wife was, her sister was the bride, all right? So he's talking to his brother-in-law, going to be the next day. And he says some nice things, and, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, whatever. And he looks him in the eye, and he says, when I watch the way that you are with her, it makes me want to be a better husband and a better man. And I remember sitting there and being like, oh, man, that kicked my little speech in the butt. Like what? Like is there is there a better compliment to be paid? Because what's what's happening is when he looks at that guy and the way they love each other, what he's, he's he may not know it, but he's seeing Jesus in the church. You know, that's what he's that's what he sees. He may not label it that way, but that's what's pushing him forward. That's what this verse is talking about. Us considering how we can push one another in that direction to love more, whether it's loving God or loving people, and to carry that out with actions. I was, um, was reading something that said, verse 23, which talks about holding on to hope. Um, we, we can hold on to hope all you want, and it really doesn't mean a whole lot unless it affects the way that you live. We can sit back and we can hope, and it can stay in our minds all we want, but is that really hope, you know? If they're in the verb with it. What I'm saying is like we're holding on to hope in verse 23 and then we put that into action in verse 24. We sit back and we're trying to, we, I think a lot of times we try to figure out how to motivate ourselves and how to stir ourselves up, you know, to love more and to, to live things out more. But what this is saying is really consider each other. And it's one of those things again where if, if I'm considering that for my friends and my community group, and, and if everybody's doing that, then everybody's covered. I was talking about the scene in Gladiator where they all back up to each other and like everybody's back is protected. You know, it's that same kind of deal. Um, so, if if our entire church is doing this and our community groups are doing this, um, I mean, can you can you imagine? Like, we would never have people just. I mean, nobody would ever kind of get in that place that we kind of all get. You know, where you feel like. 
Like, nobody really cares, you know. We all get there, kind of pout, kind of have a pity party. Nobody really knows me. Nobody really shows interest in me. Nobody, whatever, and we start just pouting, pouting, pouting. I believe the enemy gets his foot in there. He's like, you're right, dude. They don't love you. That church is full of it, man. They say all this stuff, but they don't, they don't, really, they don't really care or whatever. But what Scripture says is, all right, well, tell you what. How about you stop worrying about yourself and start figuring out how, to, how do you in, have that kind of investment in the people that are around you? Won't you take that hope and you start spurring people on, stirring them up, why don't, you just let, why don't you let God tell you the truth about if you're loved or cared for, or, you know, whatever. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as the, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together. Um, we won't have the uh, church attendance, community group attendance speech, uh, so you can relax a little bit. Um, but I mean it is it does make a good point it's funny when it, people start complaining about not having you know the relationships and there's, there's no depth in their relationships stuff like that and they're like oh my friends you know we just oh, we're all shallow and stuff like that and it's like how often do you meet together and like with and intentionally like encourage each other or get into each other's lives or just have that you know conversation how often do you do that oh well you know never all right. I'm not saying like, you know, it's Friday night, you know, and you're like uh, doing whatever you do on Friday night and you're hanging out or whatever. I'm not saying you have to like bust out the guitar and have a little sing time, you know, take prayer requests, stuff like that. I'm not saying that, that that's what we're going for. But does it ever bother you that how weird that is to think about happening? You know? And I just thought about that today. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I definitely want to make that point. That's not what I'm going for. And then I was like, why, does that, why, why would that bother me so much? You know, the thought of that. Why, does, why, do, why do my eyes roll automatically when I think about that, you know? I don't know. Do with that what you will. Encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We won't get into what the day is, but basically um, things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. As history goes on, until Jesus comes back, things are going to get worse. There's going to be the need more and more and more for those things, that encouragement, that stirring one another up, that holding on to hope. Like everything that's encompassed in these verses is going to be like every day that history goes on, it becomes a little more important and a little more crucial that this is really going on. And so, so kind of what I just want to do like real quick is... Um, you know, I mean, we see, you look at this verse, and it's, I mean, it's clear that we need each other, that God has given us each other, that, um, you know, you, you take our church and uh, how, like, God has structured us, and we have these small groups, and they're not just, like, Bible study groups going through, like, Lifeway curriculum. You know, like, there's, there's like, some, like, some real, like, direction, whether it's the material, whether it's the training of the leaders, whether it's the, the rotation that, that happens or whatever, um, Every, uh, we don't have hangout nights just because we need, leaders need a night off. That's built into what community is about. Um, we didn't go to the BCM because Steve you know, was asking us to and needed help. Um, God showed us that you need to do this. Your groups need to be serving together somehow. Um, just so happened that became where we're going to go, and that's really cool. Um, 
You look at all, the, all these things, and all these things are, are in place. And what I told the group before prayer tonight was that, you know, I look at this, and I'm not, I don't see this as like, that's where we're going. Oh, wait. That's where we're going, you know. That's where our church is headed. That's where God's taking us. Because no, that's not it. That's, that's where we are. That's, that's reality. That in Christ, that is, that, that's the reality in Christ. We may not always look that way. We may not always carry it out in the right spirit, in the right sense. We might not always be driven as individuals and as community groups and stuff like that. We, might, we don't always show up, you know, clocked in to what's going on. But that's us acting in a way that's contrary to what's really going on and who we really are. And so here, here's kind of where I want to kind of leave things at the end of this series. We've been talking about prayer, and I hope that your prayer life is different. Talk about God's Word. I hope that, that maybe that, that was different this week, and I hope those things continue to go on. But here you are. You're struggling with this stuff and, and trying to figure out how to stay in that yoke with Christ and what discipleship really looks like and following Him truly. Um, think of community as, as the, the context, the environment, all right? The incubator, whatever, however you want to think about it, where, where that growth happens in the yoke with him. And look around your life and begin to see the things that, that God has put into place and the people that God is bringing into your life to meet different kinds of needs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just like cruise through the Bible real quick. All right? I want to show you a, a couple of different relationships. You can flip if you want to. Um, you can stay put. That verse is going to stay on the screen because um, we don't have all these other ones up there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to go fast. But I want to point out some examples of what these verses in Hebrews can look like. And I want us to begin to look around our lives and to see, beginning with Christ, being followed up by the community, the church that we're a part of, how God has completely set us up in amazing ways. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right? This uh, is the most basic teaching of the Old Testament. Um, parents investing in their kids, that's the way it's supposed to happen. Somewhere along the way, it got kind of screwed up, and it became, we hire a children's minister, and we have a children's committee that handles like the spiritual development and formation of our kids for us. Um, not saying our church, I'm saying the evangelical church world, it's kind of like become kind of like the way it is. Um, and, and in a lot of parts of the country, parents are kind of clocked out. And they say, well, that's what the church is for, that's what the staff is for, that's what you know, they're for. The Bible says that, that when the, you die and you stand before Jesus one day, that's one of the things that uh, you're going to be held accountable for, parents. And um, much to the relief of me, um, I don't have to come and, like, you know, give account for your kids' spiritual 
upbringing. You do. Um, I have to give account in different ways that I'm not real excited about. Uh, won't go there. But uh, just that's, that's, that's the way that it plays out. Church's job is to equip parents. Um, expand this a little bit. All right? Uh, this is looking at uh, these are people that live together. Um, think about the people that you live with. Think about the people who see you all the time. Good days, bad days. Some of you may live in the same, like, same physical room all the time. Maybe you have roommates. Maybe days you can go close the door or whatever. But, I mean, think about those people who really, really, really know you. It's kind of the same idea. The people that you live with, it's not a coincidence that you live with them. You ever think about that? You ever think about, uh, take college students who are randomly assigned, like the people they live with in the dorms? Maybe it's not so random. Sometimes you're, you know, just trying to find a roommate so you can make rent, you know? Maybe it's, maybe it's not just coincidence that someone pulled the little tabby thing off the, uh, the deal at CC's and was like, I need a roommate, you know? Hope you've never done that, because that's rolling the dice right there, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe it's rolling the dice, maybe it's divine intervention, or maybe they'll steal all your stuff. I don't know, but um, just be careful. Anyways, um, but the people that you live with, do you take advantage of those relationships? Parents and kids, it's got to be in- intimidating for a parent because your kids see you. I'll talk, look over here. Because your kids see you, right? They see everything. It's got to It's got to just intimidate me so much. Um, but that's, that's Scripture. I think it's good that people, that we see each other for how you really are, you know. I think it's good for kids to watch their parents struggle with their marriage, struggle with decisions, struggle with discipline. I think it's good to see that, you know. If you are, are here and one of your roommates is not a Christian, I think it's important that they see how Christians handle bad days, you know, and how you handle when you bounce a check and how you handle, you know, like failing a test. And I think it's important that they see that. Maybe that's, maybe that's one thing. First uh, Samuel 3. This is a great example um, of discipleship. You got Samuel who, and, and Eli, all right? Eli's an old man, all right? Been with God a long time. Samuel, young boy, has no, no idea, all right? And he's um, learning the ways of the faith. And Samuel keeps getting awakened. Somebody's saying his name. And he goes to Eli. And he's like, what's up? You call me. And Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And then here's another voice again. He goes to him, I heard you call my name. You said my name, Samuel. I heard you. And he's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. In verse... Uh, Verse 7. Now Samuel did not know yet the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called for me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. All right? 
Here's someone young to the faith, has no idea what's going on. Here's the wise old owl, who at first is kind of clueless, and then he gets clued in. He's like, oh, this is a teaching opportunity. This is, a, this is a relationship that every single one of us need. We all need someone who's walked with God longer than us, who we can go to and we can say, all right, I've got to make a huge decision. I've been praying faithfully. I've been reading the Bible, but it's, I can't tell what it's saying. I, I need some direction. I have no idea how God speaks to me. I don't hear a voice. I don't see writing on the wall Verses don't like get highlighted mysteriously in my Bible. Like I don't, I don't know how this works. We need those people in our lives. They may, they may, and don't think age either. All right, someone may be a wise old owl and be like two weeks older than you, or two weeks younger than you, or two years younger than you. You just need someone in your life whose experience with God you can learn from and can help you process your experience. And I really, I really want you to begin to think about that. Like, who are the people that God has positioned in my life? They're, they're my go-to people. They're the people I can say, look, I, I really I feel like God's stirring in me to be in the Word more. I have no idea where to start. That sermon Josh preached was of no help to me. Um, can you help me? That's another joke. No? I'm serious? I'm sorry. My bad. Um, you need those people that you can go to, you know? People you can go to and say, guess what, I messed up so bad, I cannot, I, I'm embarrassed to even tell you what has happened. But I have no idea where to begin with, with asking God for forgiveness, or I'm already forgiven, so should I even ask? You know, I don't understand how that works. You need those people. You need that Eli relationship. And you know what? If you really begin to think about it and think about it prayerfully, God has put people in your life who play that role. I promise you. All right, Second Samuel, verse 12. I'm not going to read anything here because it's long and involved, but let, let me just uh, summarize it. I just kind of wanted you to know where it is. David had messed up really bad, all right? And um, he, uh, he got Bathsheba pregnant, had her husband killed, all that kind of stuff. And because he was the king, uh, he was going to get away with it. And then this guy named Nathan shows up, all right? And and, uh, the heading of my uh, chapter is Nathan Rebukes David. God showed Nathan David's sin. And Nathan had the guts to go stand before the king and say, dude, you were wrong. You sinned against God. We need those Nathans who are not afraid to look at us and say, you know what, we were hanging out the other night and you made that joke, it's not cool. We need those people who are unafraid to tell us that we're wrong. And some of you, I would bet, love being Nathan. I don't think Nathan liked being Nathan very much. If you've ever had to sit someone down and confront them and rebuke them biblically, all right, not in the flesh, but biblically, you know why Nathan probably hated being Nathan at that time, because it's terrible. But that is a part of the context and that community that we're talking about. When we're praying and we're really trying to grow in Christ-likeness, we need somebody who has the guts to say that and will look us in the eye and will say, I love you so much that I'm about to tell you this and it's going to hurt you. 
but I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to leave, you know, like I'm here. You don't have those people, well, it's not good. And too many Christians don't have those people in their lives. Well, I guess we have them in our lives. We just don't take advantage of it. Look around your life. They'll be that person. And sometimes all you have to do is you go to them and you say, Look, I trust your discernment. If you ever see anything in my life that is not lining up with what I say I believe and who I know Christ is, you have full permission to come sit me down and talk to me. I will not hit you. I will not hate you. I will not blog about you. I will not uh, break into your Facebook account and put false stuff about you or whatever. Like, we're, we're cool. Need that. Uh, New Testament, go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Paul was, uh, he was persecuting Christians. Arresting them, throwing them in jail, that kind of stuff. And he was kind of one of the big dogs at the time. So if you were a Christian and you saw this guy walk in, you would probably not be real excited because it meant you were about to get arrested and maybe worse. His name was Saul at the time. He had an encounter with Christ and um, everything got turned around. He's a part of the kingdom now. He's a Christian now. Um, verse 20. If you Actually, a little before 20. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, He's the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made uh, havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. All right, so everybody's freaking out. They're like, no, this dude, it's a trick. He's here to arrest us, whatever. Everybody's kind of against him. There's no way, you know, whatever. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and, and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. We all need somebody that's going to help us transition into the community. That's what Barnabas did for Paul. He's showing up. He's got, no, 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 I'm redeemed. Like, I'm changed. Like, I'm a new, I'm a new creation. And, of course, everybody's like, yeah, right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. Sometimes people say, yeah, man, it's, it's, the ring is a tough church to, you know, to kind of get in on. It's hard to meet people. It's hard to, you know, or, or any, you know, any church you go to and you visit, you're like, yeah, nobody talked to me. I didn't know anybody, whatever. Like, imagine this church. They're plotting to kill this dude, all right? Here's Barnabas. He's vouching for him. He's like, no, 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 no. I've spent time with him. And Barnabas did all that he could to help Saul get acclimated and, and come into the faith. Think about who that was for you, you know. You first became a Christian. 
who got you your first Bible, you know? Who was like, there's Old Testament, there's New Testament. This, was, this is what that means. Who helped answer your, your questions, like initially? I don't know, what's prayer? That doesn't make any sense. We need those people. You need to be that. When God opens that door and someone comes to the faith, if it's one of your friends, guess whose job that is? Yours. I know we don't do big like altar calls and big like, you know, big salvation, you know, everybody come to the front kind of things or whatever. But um, if we're doing our job as a church, people are coming to know Christ in, in a more intimate way, either for the very first time or then growing from that point forward. And as we, like, I, I believe that in our future, um, and not too far away, we're going to start to see more people just initially be like, I have no idea what this whole Christianity thing is about, but I want to know. I want to know more. And we're going to need some people who are not afraid to take a new believer and say, all right, I'll tell you what, let's meet. Let's meet like every, every other week or something, and we'll talk about, you know, whatever. We're going to need those people. Um, in Acts 13, um, Barnabas and Paul, they go out together and they minister together. Church lays hands on them, sends them out as missionaries, and they minister side by side. You need those people in your, in your life too. You look, look around your life, you'll see those people that you're able to do ministry alongside. And you'll find that your bond is so different with them than with anybody else. Those people are in your life. God has put people in your life that you are supposed to get involved in ministry together. Isn't that weird to think about? Like, think about all your friends and stuff. And, and, and think about it. In your future, you guys are together for the gospel somewhere, doing something. Weird to think about. When I was in elementary school. Jake Rush sitting back there. We met. Didn't really think in kindergarten that uh, today we'd be in ministry together. Rodney Sutherland back there, known him since ninth grade. Parish Honor Band, what's up? Uh, didn't know that day. Look around your life. Who knows what's going to happen? Second Timothy, this is the last one. Second Timothy, chapter one. Paul mentored Timothy. Verse 3 says this, As I thank God whom I serve, as did, my, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, Paul mentored Timothy. But you read those words, and that doesn't sound like a one-way mentorship. Paul's not like, I've invested so much into you, and I hope that you're grateful. He's like, I've invested a lot in you, but I've gotten so much more in return. See, there's this, there's this great fallacy among Christians 
that, um, that we have nothing to offer until we get our stuff straight. You know? And we're all like so stinking insecure about our relationship with God and how we are doing as a Christian and all this kind of stuff that we're like, oh, there's no way. I would never invest in someone else because what if I mess them up? Maybe parents are like, well, I, I can't explain the gospel to my kids. What if I tell them wrong, you know? And so we believe this lie that we have to get all our ducks in a row and we have to like become the perfect whatever. And at that point, then we can begin to become this great mentor, you know, whatever. And that's bull. It's a total lie. And, you know, the reason why there are so many Christians right now who have no idea how to invest in somebody else is because nobody did it for them. So it's like, I don't even know what to duplicate because nobody did that for me. And so I can't, well, I, I, you know, okay. And so I, I think what God really wants for, from our church is just to wipe all that clean, okay? Say all that stuff is a lie and it doesn't really matter, all right? If that's what you think, you've believed a lie. So let's replace that lie with the truth that you are a new creation, that all the old things are gone and the new things that have come, and that when you abide in Christ, the power of God flows through your life, and he shows up, and there are evidences of his grace in your life. And you do not have to be perfect. You do not have to have everything figured out. You just have to be obedient and willing and open and completely just devoted to him. Just being in Christ, you have something to offer. Do not believe the lie. Just being in Christ. And so you look around your life, and you're like, who in my life can I consider stir them up love and good deeds? Who can I encourage? That's life in Christ. That's life in a community that has him as the banner over the top of it. And I'm telling you, that's not where we're going. It's where we are. We just have to look around. I have to pray and say, God, show me those faces. Show me, show me who, who is Eli for me, you know? Who is Nathan for me? Who is Timothy for me? Who is Barnabas for me? Who can I be a Paul for, you know? And when we begin to ask him that, he's going to begin to show us. And that's, like, that's the, the moment of reality where it's like, do you really believe, do you really want that? But think about it, all right? And I'm, I'm done, all right? You're in the yoke with Christ. You're learning from him. And he's put you in this context with all these other people. And you know what? We're all learning the same stuff. Every single one of us, the same stuff. Nobody's alone. Sometimes we choose to live alone. Nobody's alone. So I guess all that's really left is for you to consider those things and to look around your life and say, God, illuminate my surroundings and my relationships and show me who you've placed in for some purpose. There are many other examples in Scripture we could have used. Let's consider that. Let's not just haphazardly exist, you know? I think that that is um, tragic. 
for us to just kind of exist. This attaches some purpose and some direction. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to do a song. We're going to go. All right? Let's pray.